You are now listening to the Griot's Black Podcast Network, Black Culture Amplified. Hi, and welcome to The Blackest Questions, a trivia game show meant to teach us more about Black history. I'm your host, Dr. Christina Greer, politics editor for The Griot, and currently a Moynihan Public Scholars Fellow at the City College in New York. In this podcast, we ask our guests five of The Blackest Questions so we can learn a little bit more about them and have some fun while we're doing it. We're also going to learn a lot about Black history, past and present. So here's how it works. We've got five rounds of questions about us, Black history, the entire diaspora, current events, you name it. And with each round, the questions get a little tougher and the guest has 10 seconds to answer. If they answer correctly, they'll receive one symbolic Black fist and hear this. And if they get it wrong, they'll hear this. But we still love them anyway. And after the five trivia questions, there will be a Black bonus round just for fun. And I like to call it Black Lightning. Our guest for this episode is actress and podcast host Ashley Blaine Featherson Jenkins. She acted in the Netflix hit series Dear White People and the Hulu original film Bad Hair. She was also part of the Netflix ad that recreated the iconic A Great Day in Harlem photograph that was curated by the company's Strong Black Lead initiative, which tailors projects for a Black audience. She's the host of the podcast Trials to Triumphs which is an original podcast on the Oprah Winfrey Network with new episodes every Monday. Ashley, thank you so much for joining us on the special edition of The Blackest Questions. Are you ready to play? Thank you for having me, Christina. I'm ready. Okay, I love it. I love it. Okay, first question. Let's jump right in. (sighs) This talk show host was the first Black woman to own her own entertainment studio, becoming only the third woman to do so, following behind Mary Pickford and Lucille Ball. Who is this woman? Mm. Is it Oprah Winfrey? Bing, you are correct. It is hey. Oprah Winfrey. Hey. Hey, see, listen, hey. coming in hot. Hey. I love it, right? You're one for one. Yeah. So Oprah created Harpo Productions in 1986, the same year that she launched her talk show. The Oprah Winfrey show ran for 25 seasons, making it one of the longest running daytime shows in history and held the number one spot for 24 of those seasons with an average of 40 million viewers each week. The show won 47 Emmys and eventually stopped submitting its work so that other shows could be recognized. When the show wrapped, it had taped nearly 5,000 shows that included five presidents, several princesses, and countless celebrities. Celine Dion was the most frequent female guest, appearing on the show 27 times. And Chris Rock was the most frequent male guest, who appeared 25 times. So, Ashley, we know that your podcast, Trials to Triumphs, is on the Harpo, is part of the Harpo empire, if you will. Tell us a bit more about your podcast and what it's like to have the support of an icon like Oprah Winfrey. It's amazing. I love that that was the first question, and I'm so happy I knew the answer. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, Trials to Triumphs, I created the podcast that I wanted. I wanted an interview style podcast where I could talk to people about their journeys, their ups and their downs to getting to where they are. Because I think oftentimes we celebrate the highlight reel and we don't understand the things that it took in someone's journey to get there. And that's where the inspiration lies. Um, I knew that the own network would be the perfect place as Oprah Winfrey, Miss Winfrey, as I like to call her, is one of my biggest inspirations. So to be her first original podcast, to be a sister podcast, to Super Soul Sunday, uh, which is one of my favorite, and the Oprah Winfrey Show podcast, which are two of my favorites, is just really amazing and such a huge blessing. And I feel like it's in the the perfect place. 
Absolutely. And I, I love the fact that you talk about, you know, so much of what we need to know is beyond the highlight reel. Because mm-hmm. when, you know, I, I love talking to people and I love talking to, you know, I'm a professor, I love talking to my students. But we also find that so many people, when they have adversity, in retrospect, they would never take it away because they realize that from that adversity, they became the phoenix, right? It, it sort of jolted something in them to either change, you know, change a job or get out of a particular situation, or they recognize that rock bottom isn't rock bottom and, or maybe it was, and they had to like completely change course and all these new things flourish from sort of what seemed like a valley, which actually only helped them go to the peaks where they are. Yeah. That's why retrospect is so important because it doesn't feel like that in the moment, but it's when you're able to look back over your life and you can have such gratitude for, like you said, the valleys that led to the peaks. Right. Are there any particular guests that stick out for you or any particular stories that really just help you solidify that you knew what you were doing in this podcast is really tapped into something that like listeners really need? Oh yeah. I mean, there's, there's so many, I, I chat with, um, my friend Kelly Rowland, and she talks a lot about forgiveness and, um, you know, her relationship with her mother and how it grew over the years and how she learned to show her mother grace and how that helped her in her motherhood journey. I talk with actress Soniqua Martin-Green, who talks about the tragedy of losing her parents within about 24 hours of one another and what that meant for her in her life and how she she walked through um really that trauma and how she's on the other side of healing and what that looks like. Um, I just talked with Michelle Horde, uh, who is just an amazing woman and advocate. Um, and she talks about how she, uh, her eight year old daughter was murdered at the hands of her ex-husband and how she now fights in Gabrielle's honor every single day and how she still found love again. More than one thing can be true at the same time. Yeah. I can be, in love and get married again and find love, which I did, and be heartbroken that my circumstances, you know, created a situation where I met my husband. So we are talking about so many different stories, um, but 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 the through line is uh, survival, it's resiliency, it's grace, it's love, it's perseverance and it's transparency. You know, everyone that comes to my podcast is kind enough and generous enough to share their, their truth, their stories, some of the most difficult things, some things they've never even shared before with us in hopes that it will help or save others. Well, I think it says so much about who you are for also being able to tap into that and getting people to open up and trust you enough on this amazing podcast, Trials to Triumphs, for our listeners out there who are just joining, and it's on the Oprah Winfrey Podcast Network. So congratulations on the podcast. Um, We here at The Grio, we love just sort of supporting and saluting all the podcasts out there. Um, So you're one for one. You want to keep this party going? You're hot. I do. I'm feeling good about it. Okay. (laughs) All right. Question number two. Vanessa Williams made history in 1984 when she became the first Black woman to be crowned Miss America. She ultimately had to resign her title, but she rebounded and had major success as a singer and an actress. In fact, one of her songs was a number one hit and earned her a Grammy nomination for Song of the Year in 1992. Can you name the song? Yes. Um, 
Oh my goodness, and I'm looking at my Vanessa Williams book right now. I love her. What is the name of the song? Um, are there hints? No oh, hints. Oh man. Um, I can. I'm like literally singing it in my head, and I cannot come up with the name. It's save the best for last. Save the save the best for last. Save the best for last. See, mm. and I wouldn't dare sing it because I lip sing in church. That's how bad my voice is. Save the um, best for okay. last. Yeah, one thousand yes. percent. That's it. So it was the third single from her from Vanessa Williams' second album, The Comfort Zone. The song was number one on the Billboard Hot 100 for five mm. weeks. As I mentioned, the song was nominated for Song of the Year at the Grammys, but it was also nominated for Record of the Year and Best Female Pop Performance. Vanessa Williams has also had success as an actress on screen and stage, starring in TV shows Ugly Betty and Desperate Housewives. Now, I just think Vanessa Williams is just beautiful on the inside and out, so talented. We know that you mentioned Vanessa Williams as someone you've admired in the business. Why does she in particular stand out to you? Oh, my goodness. I, I in Bad Hair, Justin Simeon's film, I actually got to play her assistant, which was such a dream come true to play to like act with her. Um, but I really love and admire Vanessa Williams because I feel like she has a career and a trajectory that I really aspire toward. Like to me, she's done it all. And I am mm -hmm. in am in many ways a multi-hyphenate. And I just love that she's had her hands on almost every area of the business and really thrived and excelled and had such a full career. Um, and that's what I want. I mean, she's done music. She's recorded albums. She's been on Broadway. She's in movies. She's on your television screen. She, she just does it all. And I think she's amazing. Yeah. And she has a family and just all of the things uh, that, that I want for myself. And she's had such a long lasting career. And she's well respected in the business and extremely talented. Mm -hmm. And I just think she's marvelous. I would love to hear her on your podcast because oh my you gosh, know, me too. When I've heard her talk about sort of the post Miss America and what it meant for her as a black woman feeling as though she let black America down. And then to have this amazing career. I mean, everyone who listens to this podcast knows that this is a Queen Latifah stand podcast. Like I mm -hmm. think Queen Latifah is on the Mount Rushmore of dynamic, beautiful, amazing, multi-hyphenate yes. women. But I'm going to, and I put Missy Elliott up there too. Oh on yeah. The Mount Rushmore. Love your but Mount you Rushmore. But are, you are making a serious case for Vanessa Williams to be right there next to them as far as just a dynamic, brilliant black woman who is sort of crossing so many different genres um, mm. and over time. I mean, like, you know, I think about her movies with like Arnold Schwarzenegger, but also in like black movies and like, you know, um, sort of always keeping her feet really grounded in black American culture as well, even when she's mainstream. Yeah. It's so the vibe. Yeah, for sure. She's, she's a whole vibe. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, listen, okay. Now I've got three on my, on my Mount Rushmore. So I've got Missy, I've got Queen Latifah, who's my, Number one. And then I'm putting Vanessa Williams up there. I love that. Now, Ashley, if you weren't acting, mm -hmm. what else might you be doing? Like, is there, I, you know, yeah. is there an alternative universe where Ashley's doing something else in the world? I think the alternative universe is that, honestly, I'm teaching. I love to, I love education. I love teaching. I have a, I have a passion for youth and like, you know, the next generation, like, you know, uh, giving back uh, Sankofa almost like these are all things that are like really important to me. So I think that in an alternate universe, I like you would be like a professor. 
Well, you're always welcome to come to my class. I would we love talk that. about lots of things. <laughs> you're always welcome. I'm sure my students would be like, oh my gosh, Professor Greer. <laughs> like, I, mean, I always have yeah. amazing guest speakers. And, you know, it's, it's so wonderful when people actually give time to come and talk to young people because you never know the sentence that you say to them that changes their whole That's the trajectory. Um, and especially, you know, seeing someone who's young and fabulous and doing so many things and just being bold, right, mm-hmm. and brave uh, with sort of how they want to take their life. I think, you know, and take it in the direction um, that for some people they need to sort of see someone doing it to give them the courage to do it. Time for a quick break. We'll be right back. The 80s gave us unforgettable songs from Bob Marley, De La Soul, and Public Enemy. I'm a black man, and I can never be a veteran. Being Black, the 80s is a podcast docuseries hosted by me, Torre, looking at the most important issues of the 80s through the songs of the decade. A decade when crack kingpins controlled the streets, but lost their humanity. You couldn't be like those soft, smiling, happy-go-lucky drug dealers. You had to suppress that. It was a time when disco was part of gay liberation. It provided the information to counter narratives that were given to gay people by the straight world. This is the funkiest history class you'll ever take. Join me, Torre, for Being Black the 80s on the Grio Black Podcast Network or wherever you listen to podcasts. Okay, we are back. I'm talking to Ashley Blaine Featherson Jenkins, and we're playing The Blackest Questions. Ashley, are you ready for question number three? I am. I'm really upset about question number two, but it's fine. Let's go. Okay, and when you have Vanessa <laughs> Williams on the podcast, you can just explain it to her. Listen, it's nerves. And the times that my my podcast siblings have turned the tables on me, and I've, I've gone on Michael Harriet's podcast and Panama Jackson's podcast and Therese's podcast, it has not fared well for me. It's like, wild. I'm much like, better I know, you the know the answers. It's so wild. You know them, and, they're, and it's, they're at the tip of the tongue, but they just don't want to come out. Yeah. Okay, question number three. We got this. So this Baltimore native was a prominent civil rights attorney who successfully argued the landmark case, Brown v. Board of Education, which did away with segregation in public schools. What was his name? Thurgood Marshall. Boom. You are correct. Thurgood Marshall became America's first black federal judge in 1961. He was appointed by President John F. Kennedy. Six years later, he became the first black Supreme Court justice in 1967. Before becoming a justice, Thurgood Marshall led the NAACP Legal Defense and Educational Fund and won 29 of the 32 civil rights cases he argued before the Supreme Court. And so I know you grew up in Gaithersburg, Maryland, which isn't too far away from my beloved Baltimore. Uh But what's something you learned early that's really crucial to your success today? That I could do anything. Like when I look back over my life, I, I never, there was never a time in my life that I felt limited. I didn't, I didn't necessarily see people around me doing limited things. I grew up in, I would say like middle-class neighborhood and, you know, it's the nineties. So like, you know, people, I definitely was around people working traditional jobs, including, um, you know, my parents, my, my, my mom has always been a leader in the DEI field. So my mom traveled Mm -hmm. a lot as a, as a diversity equity and inclusion consultant. So even that was kind of cool. I had a mom, I had a, a mom that was like, you know, on the road traveling and educating people on DEI, which at the time was like, obviously it had always been a thing, but like 
there was really an uptick in like people wanting to know more about DEI. And, um, you know, my dad worked in the cable space, but I just say that to say that my parents though, they always told me that I could do anything. And the people mm -hmm. around me, including my parents and my family, believed that I could do anything I wanted to do. So when I think of like home, which is something I ask people that come on my podcast as well, you know, my answer is that I think of a place that cultivated an environment where I could achieve the very things that I'm doing today. And I'm really, really, really grateful for that. I also grew up in a very diverse environment, like Mm -hmm. I grew up with everybody. All the schools I went to were very diverse. Um, you know, white was definitely the majority, but it was, I, I went to school with, with all types of people uh, until I went to Howard, which was a very clear choice. Um, so <laughs> yeah. Right. That's deliberate. Yeah. I think that, you know, the more we, the more I interview people, I think that there's a, a foundation of confidence and sometimes it's blind mm -hmm. confidence, right? But there is this foundation of a little bit of invincibility sometimes, which comes with naivete, and it's like, oh, I'll take yeah. it. But even mm -hmm. in these diverse spaces, which same with me, you know, predominantly white, uh, but both of my parents are Greeks in the sense that I was always around mm. frat brothers and sorority sisters and their kids. Um, so other black kids who are in similar circumstances as mine, there was just a, a level of like, I can try things, and even if I don't succeed, I still have an emotional safety net Yeah, that is supporting, as long as I'm trying. Like, you're not going to have a, a grand slam or even a home run every single time, and that's okay. It's just that forward motion um, that creates, as you talk about on the podcast, sometimes it's a trial, right? And sometimes it, it leads yeah. you to a valley, but in the effort of trying, you have this, this triumph. Yes. And I would also like to note that I went to Thurgood Marshall Elementary School. I just think Shout that's worth it. Thurgood Marshall Elementary yes, School. Yes, I went to Thurgood Marshall Elementary School. Now, is it Very still proud. around? Ah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, yep. I really need you to go back to Thurgood Marshall Elementary School, take some pictures, <laughs> and send them to the Blackest Questions. So yes, I will. Hopefully, I go I'd back in, uh, for homecoming. So, hopefully, that oh. happens. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, we're back on track. Are we ready for question number four? We are. You're doing yeah, so well. I, I'm pretty proud You're of myself. You're doing so well. Okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. And we've had people who were over five, but they're like, you know what? I had fun. I learned something. So here we are. <laughs> and hopefully our, our listeners are learning a little bit more about yeah. Marshall, my favorite city, Baltimore. You know, I mean, you've got two HBCUs in Baltimore. You got Billy Holiday. I mean, it's just, it's a magical place. Okay. Question number four. The director who created the TV series, Queen Sugar and also directed the films Selma and When They See Us, is the first Black female director to have a project compete in the legendary Venice Film Festival. Can you name this director? Who is Ava DuVernay? You are correct. And Ava submitted her film Origin, despite being told for years that international film festivals are not interested in Black storytelling. Ava DuVernay was raised in Long Beach, California, spent decades in journalism and public relations before breaking into film at 32 years old. And since then, she's shattered glass ceilings, plural, becoming the first black woman to be nominated for an Academy Award and Golden Globe Award for Best Director. She's also the first black woman to direct a film with a budget of $100 million. 
And she was the first black woman to win the Best Director Award at the Sundance Film Festival. So I know that Ava was also a part of the Netflix recreation of A Great Day in Harlem. Tell us how that came to be and where you think Hollywood is right now in terms of representation. Yeah, you know, recreating that is such a core memory. Netflix and the Strong Black Lead Initiative selected um, some Black folks over at Netflix to recreate uh, the iconic image. And, uh, you know, my cast um, mates and I were so honored to be a part of of the collective. Defeating larger than life forces, trying to flip our world upside down. We stand up on any stage and every screen. And it was so much fun and just, they recreated that stoop. Uh, you know, we're on, mm-hmm. you know, the Netflix kind of like lot basically. And it just, it was, it was a time when it felt like we were able to look around and say, wow, look at all of us. Like we're on TV. We're making things happen. Like Mm -hmm. this was a dream. We were all hoping that we would be able to have a career like this in, in Hollywood. And you know, it was a great day and we just like laughed and joked and ate and it was just wonderful. Um, but, you know, how, how do I feel about Hollywood now and where we are, you know, obviously fighting for a lot of things that we very much so deserve and dealing with a lot of corporate greed, which is just a difficult thing to handle. But I think specifically as black folks in Hollywood, we are we have so many more opportunities, many of which we are mm-hmm. cre- we are we are creating for ourselves. Um, but I still believe personally we have a long way to go. I still don't see, Mm -hmm. I I still don't feel that I see myself enough on television. I still Mm -hmm. don't feel that I see you enough on television. I still do not feel like we have the, there should be more uh, black female directors who are given a hundred million dollars to make films. I'm so Mm -hmm. happy that Ava has had the opportunity, but I know, and Ava knows 20 more amazing female directors, Mm -hmm. at least that should be able to have the same opportunity. So I'm happy that we are shattering glass ceilings, but, uh, there's more to shatter. And I am, and I am very so passionate about being an active part in the glass shattering. So that brings me to my next question. So is there any interest in you getting behind the camera? I mean, you, you're very telegenic and you're great in front of it, but as as we need more storytellers and people directing said stories, is that something that's on your bucket list uh, as you make your way through Hollywood? Yes, 1000%. I, I'm very much so also a creator and a producer. I have, I have that type of brain. So I, and I would love to direct. Um, so that's the goal. You know, hopefully you do see me firing, as I like to say, firing on all cylinders and, you know, you know, on my Kerry Washington, you know, like mm-hmm. I, that's that's what I'm trying to do. You know, Viola Davis, you know, her production company is amazing. She's doing it all. So like that is where Ashley Blaine Featherston Jenkins is headed. I love that. And I love that you do have role models that are close enough also in age. We're not talking about people who are 95 years old. It's like you actually have black women who are, they're still navigating, right? I'm sure mm-hmm. Carrie Washington would say like, they're still, she's got goals and other yeah. other mountains to climb. But I, I love this baton passing that's mm-hmm. happening. And there's there's definitely more, there's not enough, but we're, we're trending upward as they would say. And hopefully after yeah. the strike is over, we can really have some robust projects because 
what you and so many other black women are doing in Hollywood is really an inspiration. And for someone like me who gets the honor and privilege of being with young people almost every day, they notice it and they see it. And so mm. it's, it makes sense to them. So I just want to say thank you for the hard work that you're doing. Oh, thank you. And since we're killing the game, you want to go on question number five? <sighs> yes. I mean, it's let's feeling do good. It. It's feeling good. Actually, I know. It's feeling good. I feel good about it. <laughs> okay. Question number five. The term black power became popular during the civil rights movement when college student Stokely Carmichael began using it as a way to unite people in his fight for voting rights. Carmichael, who then became Kwame Ture, was a part of the Black Panther Party, one of the original freedom fighters, and was also a student at what historically black college? Mm-hmm. Take a guess. Howard University. That's right. You know, I just was, as they I knew say. it. I just was like giving the suspense. You, you wanted to build up for suspense? See, yes. this, is, this is what a director does, right? You build in suspense. I love it. So Howard University was established shortly after the end of the Civil War and was originally created. I mean, you know this, but I got to say this for my <laughs> listeners, right? Was created to educate black clergymen, but quickly expanded to include liberal arts and medicine. In its first five years... Howard educated more than 150,000 freed, formerly enslaved people. Now back to the phrase black power. Its earliest known usage is found in Richard Wright's 1954 book entitled Black Power. It was then used in a speech by New York politician Adam Clayton Powell. But it wasn't until Carmichael began, began using it as a rallying cry that it really became a common term used to show solidarity in the fight for equality. Stokely Carmichael was arrested nearly 30 times while protesting, and the FBI closely monitored him because they believed he was in line to succeed Malcolm X as America's most controversial black voice. This country is built on lies. They told you and me that if we worked hard and if we sweated, that we would succeed and become rich. And if that were true, I tell you, we would own this country. <laughs> So I know that you're a bison, a proud bison, yes, um, and a Howard graduate. What made you decide on an HBCU, and what would you tell our listeners who are considering going to an HBCU? Oh, wow. I, like I said, I grew up in a, in a diverse environment, but it was still predominantly white. And uh, my mom is a Howard alum, and uh, my grandmother and her sister, my great aunt, also uh, went to an HBCU, Winston-Salem University. Um, so I was, my father went to UDC. So I was really surrounded by uh Black folks who were going to college should be around black folks. And that is what I knew that I wanted for myself, too, especially given that I didn't get that the entire time growing up. I obviously got it from, you know, my family and my family friends and Jack and Jill and all of these other things. But I wanted to be immersed in my people. And uh Again, my mom was a really big inspiration for me. And going to Howard University uh, was for sure, one of the best decisions of my life. Like it's up there with like marrying my husband, like all, you know, you know, doing the highlight people. Yeah. It's in the Mm -hmm. highlight reel. Um, And the thing that's so unique and so special about HBCUs is that, you know, we have to remember that HBCUs were founded out of 
a fight and a need, right? We were fighting for the, the right to be educated properly. And we, we needed to be around each other. We needed to be immersed mm-hmm. in culture and in education and in um, just achieving amazing things together. Uh, you know, Howard was founded in 1867. So, you know, you all can think about what, you know, the world was like for black people in 1867. And so for me to have started Howard in 2005 and graduated in 2009, what a legacy. I'm, you know, when, when you're at Howard University, you're able to walk the yard, the same yard that Stokely Carmichael walked. You know what I mean? That's so many, um, Zora Neale Hurston, so many amazing people walked these same walls. And there's something about that, that again, like I said earlier, reminds you, you can do anything. These amazing black folks came before you and they did it and you can too. It's Sankofa, like I said, right? You know, they are, we're passing the baton. And if you're thinking about attending an HBCU, I promise you that it will leave you changed for the better. I don't know one person that's attended an HBCU and regretted the decision. That is a fact. Um, it, it is it is a rich experience that uh, is is worth experiencing. And I obviously I'd be remiss if I didn't shout out part of the wonderful experience for so many people is having black professors who nurture you. Oh my you gosh! And yes, make sure that this this experience is filled with a certain foundation of intellectual curiosity, but pride as well. So shout out to all the professors, past and present, who yes. make the HBC. You experience yes. what it is. Yes. Um, okay, so we're going to take a quick commercial break. Ashley Blaine Featherson Jenkins is doing an amazing job on Blackest Questions. We're going to come back and play Black Lightning. Y'all, come look at what Michael Harriet just posted. Black Twitter, come get your man. It's his podcast episodes for me. I was today years old when I found out Michael Harriet had a podcast. Subscribed. I'm world-famous white peopleologist Michael Harriet, and this is The Griot Daily. That's right. The Black Twitter King has a podcast, The Griot Daily with Michael Harriet, every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday on the Griot Black Podcast Network and accessible wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Okay, we're back from commercial. You are listening to The Blackest Questions. I'm your host, Dr. Christina Greer. I'm here with Ashley Blaine Featherson Jenkins. We have done an amazing job on our questions. And now it's time for some fun stuff, the Black Lightning Round. So Ashley, here's how it goes. There are no right or wrong answers. I just want you to give us the first thing that pops in your head and we'll go from there. Are you ready to play? Yes. Okay. What is your favorite Black brand to support? You know, I've been liking, uh, there's so many, but I, uh, McBride Sisters, the McBride Mm, Sisters line. I I have like this description. Yeah. What's the last show you binge watched? Okay. This is okay. I'm just, I'm exposing myself. No judging. This is a judgment free zone. Okay. Are you all ready? We're ready. Signs of a psychopath. Oh, Yes. It's on Max. It's available on Max. Okay. And I'm fascinated at okay. psychopaths. There we are. <laughs> yeah. And sadly, they're growing growing in the population. Yeah, yes. Who is your all-time favorite musician? Mm, Erica Badu. Okay. Ooh, I'm right there with you. What is one item in your makeup bag you can't live without? Mascara. 
Okay. Who, what actor or actress are you dying to work with? Viola Davis. I really want to work mm. with her. Yeah. Hey, listen, we manifest things on this podcast. So ask, believe, receive. So pretty soon it's going to be Ashley and Viola Davis working yes. together. And you heard it here first on The Blackest Question. Can't wait. Okay. Would you rather get dressed up or dressed down? Dressed down. Okay. And last question. Who's the better cook? You or your husband? <laughs> Me. <laughs> <laughs> but he makes a great breakfast. He's the breakfast guy. I'll give him that. Okay. I was about to say, because he's not on the podcast to defend himself. So <laughs> right now, we're going to give Ashley Blaine Featherson Jenkins the last word. I want to thank you so much for joining us on The Blackest Questions. I want to thank our listeners uh, for tuning in. I want to thank you all for playing along with us. And don't forget to check out Ashley's podcast, Trials to Triumphs. Ashley, promise us you'll come back when you have your new movie with Viola Davis. Yes. And you all about it. I'll come back and I'll get five out of five. I cannot believe I didn't get saved the best for last. I'm, I'm, it's going to be haunting me, literally, for the rest well, of my life. Well, you know what? You can apologize to Vanessa Williams when she comes yeah, in. Yeah, I will. Um, thank you so much and for I having thank, me. Thank you for coming on. And I want to thank you all for listening to The Blackest Questions. This show is produced by Sasha Armstrong and Jeffrey Trudeau. And Regina Griffin is our director of podcasts. If you like what you heard, subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. And you can find more at the Grio Black Podcast Network on the Grio app, website, and YouTube. We started this podcast to talk about not just what black writers write about, but how? Well, personally, it's on my bucket list to have one of my books banned. <laughs> I know that's probably bad, but Ooh. I think... Ooh, spicy. And they were yelling, N-word, go home. And I was looking around for the N-word because I knew it couldn't be me because I was a queen. <laughs> but I'm telling people to quit this mentality of identifying ourselves yeah. by our work, to start to live our lives, and to redefine the whole concept of how we work and where we work and why we work in the first place. My biggest strength throughout throughout my career has been having incredible mentors and specifically black women. I mean, I've been writing poetry since I was like eight. You know, I've been reading Langston Hughes and James Baldwin and Maya Angelou and so forth and so on since I was like a little kid. Like the banjo was blackly black, right? Mm -hmm. For many, many, African. many years, yes. everybody knew. Cause sometimes I'm just doing some Sam that because <laughs> I just <laughs> want to do it. An honor to be here. Thank you for doing the work that you're doing. Keep shining bright. And we and, and like you said, we gonna keep writing black. As always, you can find us on the Grio app or wherever you find your podcasts.